Hello and welcome to the Armenian News Network. Grung, I'm Aspet Bedrosian. We're recording this episode on Tuesday, February 22, 2022. In this lightning conversation on Grung, we're doing a quick roundup of the Ukraine crisis where events are unfolding at a dizzying pace. We have with us Dr. Pietro Shakarian, who is a lecturer in history at the American University of Armenia in Yerevan. His research focuses on the history of Soviet Armenia and the Caucasus. Hi, Pietro. Hi, Osbert. It's, it's good to join you tonight. Thanks. So yesterday was quite an eventful day. Russian President Putin recognized the two component oblasts of the Donbass region as sovereign countries, the Donetsk People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic, the DPR and the LPR, respectively. So can you give us a breakdown of what exactly happened last night? Well, I will tell you that Putin basically gave a very long speech that culminated in Russia's official recognition of these two breakaway uh, regions of Ukraine and eastern Ukraine, Donetsk and Lugansk or Luhansk. And this actually had been, there have been rumblings about this throughout the evening. So I mean, if you have been following the news mm-hmm. as I was here in Yerevan, yeah. uh, you know, people knew that something was going to be happening. It was kind of like semi-leaked by the Kremlin into kind of the public uh, realm. And so people knew that Putin was getting ready to this was quite recognize expected. these yeah, yeah, it was it was quite expected for that whole evening. It wasn't expected mm-hmm. until the evening, right. but during the period of the evening, throughout that whole night, people were expecting that he was going to recognize. So then he gives this speech, and the speech was very, very long, and frankly, it was a very angry speech. All the frustrations Russia had in this conflict just came pouring out of that speech. And basically, Putin kind of gave this history as he saw it, historical overview of, of Ukraine, how it was formed as a Soviet Republic. Um, although there had been precedents before, you know, the formation of the Soviet Union, Ukraine had been a front of the Russian Civil War, as I said, there were like different republics proclaimed on the territory of Ukraine during that time. But in any mm-hmm. case, so Putin was talking about this, but he made a statement that was really, really very strong where he said, um, so as you know, Azbed, there is this process, this policy in Ukraine since the Maidan, decommunization, the idea of tearing down Lenin's statue, mm-hmm. banning communist symbols, banning Soviet symbols, right? Putin basically was, again, he was making the case that contemporary Ukraine this had been formed, its borders had been established by the Soviet Union. And he was saying, okay, you know, Ukraine, if you you want decommunization? Fine. We will give you decommunization. And you'll see how you'll like. So that kind of talk, Azbed, I read that as almost like saying that if he's pushed far enough, he'll go all the way to Kiev. So yeah. this is really, really quite serious. It was a really, 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 really uh, very serious speech. Well, as an Armenian, I was also interested on his perspective of how some of these post-Soviet republics are essentially um, Soviet constructs, Lenin, Stalin, etc., you know, if we extrapolate, and how that affects us. I mean, if he wants to deconstruct the current world map in order to fix what was done wrong to people and their nations by the fall of the Soviet Union, then Armenians have definitely some choice thoughts about that, given the situation with the Artsakh Republic most prominently. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly with the Artsakh issue, and actually it comes to mind, uh, What actually what comes to mind when you listen to Putin's speech is you think, well, why did not Nikol Pashinyan recognize Artsakh during the period of the Artsakh War Indeed. with a similar rationale? Yeah. I mean, he could have done that. And that would actually legally would have uh, prevented the cession of certain territories back mm-hmm. to Azerbaijan, let's say. Mm-hmm. So it would have been probably a completely different outcome had he recognized Artsakh. In fact, actually, Putin pointed that out in his I comments was just gonna say after, that. Yeah, after the Artsakh War. But as I was going to say earlier, Putin gave two speeches before this. One was in Munich, the Munich Security Conference in 2007. And then there was the speech with the Russian annexation of Crimea. So when Putin decided to annex Crimea or incorporate Crimea into the Russian Federation, he gave, uh, you know, this very powerful speech. And in both cases, he articulated his frustrations with the comportment of the United States uh, toward Russia, that Russia wasn't getting a fair shake, that, you know, we live in a multipolar world and the U.S. Mm -hmm. is acting as if it's a unipolar world and they are trying to dictate to us how we should act and so on and so forth. And this was like uh, Munich 5.0. I mean, this speech was really quite strong. So what do you think pushed him to this step at this stage of the crisis? Well, I think what pushed him to this step was everything leading up to it. I think that there was this incessant, for lack of a better term, propaganda Mm -hmm. coming out of the American and British media for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, as we've been talking about on this podcast, as a matter of fact. This talk that Russia was going to invade any day now, that we had intel that Russia was going to invade at 1 a.m. on Mm -hmm. on this date, you know, and and, and for sure this was going to happen. And the day came and went and Russia didn't invade. But then when it was clear Russia was not going to be goaded into invading, there were uh, renewed hostilities suddenly in Donbass region. Mm -hmm. And this is actually what's interesting. So you could make the case that, well, the speech that Putin gave was very strong. It was very tough. It was very inflammatory as a speech. But at the same time, the action of recognizing Donetsk and Lugansk, this actually also has the effect of, in some ways, de-escalating the situation. Because if you recognize them and then you deploy Russian peacekeepers to the region, then the Ukrainian forces will be less willing to attack or shell Donetsk and Lugansk. It's easier for them to do that with just rebels there. But when you have the actual Russian army, right now, in the original Donbass conflict in 2014, there was a Russian presence there. Around August 2014, they showed up. Yeah. But the origins of the whole Donetsk and Lugansk thing, that actually originated domestically. This is okay. something that, it, this was not a Russian invasion. This, this emerged because the people in Donetsk and Lugansk did not agree with the Maidan. Mm-hmm. movement in in kiev this what percentage what of these republics are russian ethnics well this is an interesting question because this is unlike crimea mm-hmm. the people here are ethnic ukrainian ah. but they are russian speaking ukrainian and okay. their perception of what it means to be ukrainian is completely different than somebody living in western ukraine in lviv let's say mm-hmm. so somebody in western ukraine and lviv has this idea that ukraine were a separate nation completely we speak a separate language that might be related in some way to russian but it's it's a separate slavic language whereas the people in donetsk and lugansk they would say well really you know ukraine is almost like a region of russia and that really we're just kind of like a kind of a sub part of a larger russian nation that sort of a thing so the perception you know changes as you go from east to west and people in between 
in the central Ukraine, in Kiev, they are sort of mixed between east and west in this way. Yeah, so if I look at the map, the Donbass region does not even span the entire border between Russia and Ukraine. It's mostly the southern part all the way to the Black Sea. Um, mm -hmm. What are Russia's objectives in Donbass? Is this a move, um, a step towards controlling all of Ukraine eventually, politically? I don't see it as a move toward uh, the eventual control of the entirety of Ukraine. I think this is right now, at least we can say, this is concentrated very much on, on Donetsk and Lugansk. Mm -hmm. And why? Because uh, this is where you have regions of Ukraine that actually became separatist republics, that became breakaway republics. Okay. Uh, as I was saying, that back in 2014, in response to the Maidan movement in Kiev, the people here disagreed with that movement. First of all, because it was very pro-Western, it was very pro-ethnic Ukrainian nationalism. Uh, there was also, of course, the presence of the far right in that movement. We talked mm -hmm. about that in this podcast mm -hmm. as well. And finally, there was a concern that if this new government went along with the EU association agreement, it would have an adverse effect on workers in the Donbass. So Donbass is a very industrial area. It's a heavy coal mining area. I saw. Yeah, and the people I, I was there, looking at the yeah, maps. The people, I saw that. It's all over the, the people, place. It's all over the place. And the people there were worried that, you know, if we go with this EU association agreements, uh, our, you know, resources aren't going to be necessarily competitive with European resources. Mm -hmm. And in the end, uh, you know, we're going to lose our jobs. Factories are going to close. Mines are going to close. It's going to be a disaster for us in terms of our, uh, you know, livelihoods. So people had legitimate reasons for uh, wanting to, you know, break away from Ukraine. And also they saw what happened in Crimea, that Crimea, first they started off as kind of a breakaway republic, then of course the Russian little green men showed up and it was incorporated into the Russian Federation. <laughs> um, so, uh, and they were hoping for a similar outcome, but it didn't, it didn't go like that. Much has been written in the U.S. media about Putin's quote-unquote nostalgia for Soviet times and that he wants to reconstitute the USSR. Do you think that his latest steps are motivated by that idea or by something else? I, you know, I think that what's funny about this is there is this narrative that Putin wants to restore the USSR. Yeah. Right now, there are yeah. certain aspects of the USSR that Putin misses. I mean, he misses the Union of States. He's made that very clear. He said that, you know, this was a, a geopolitical catastrophe. But on the other hand, there's a lot he's critical about the USSR. I mean, if we heard the speech. I mean, he was very critical of certain policies by Lenin and Stalin, especially with regard to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Um, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's not so cut and dry as to say that he loves Soviet Union and that he wants to rebuild the Soviet Union. In fact, when they, when they, the ideal scenario for Russia would be to have something like a, a kind of like this Eurasian Union where really they have kind of influence over these former Soviet republics, but they're not like paying their pensions. They're not directly controlling them because it's a lot of work for them to, to do that. And so it's better just to, you know, dole it out to the local authorities, so to speak. Has Putin painted himself in a corner here? Does he have a plan B? Assuming that we really know what plan A is here. <laughs> uh, well, I think that actually plan A came by accident. I think that he didn't want this outcome. I think that mm -hmm. he had been for years, um, I mean, for this whole period of time since 2014, Russia had been adhering to the Minsk agreements, which mm -hmm. were also signed off by France and Germany. And I think that the Ukrainian authorities were not, you know, as committed and part of that was, again, because of the pressure from the far-right nationalistic groups on the Ukrainian government. There was always this idea that Kiev's 
the commitment to the Minsk agreements was questionable. Now, that being said, I think that Putin would have preferred to pursue Minsk and would have preferred to have kept that agreement in place. But because of all the events that I described earlier, mm-hmm. his hand was forced on, on this issue. And he really felt like, I mean, if you listen to the speech, it, it really sounds like a man who um, really was pushed into this. I mean, he okay. really feels like he was he was pushed. Well, um, it's a so geopolitical that, game. Well, and I think that we, we've mentioned this idea as he painted himself into a corner. I mean, really, he, he himself would paint himself into a corner. It was, mm-hmm. you know, the the United States and NATO yeah. that, had, yeah. that, that did this, unfortunately. So, before we finish off, let's uh, quickly talk about that perspective. The Western media, the wires, major newspapers are all the same course. Russia is invading. This won't stand. Terrible sanctions are underway, etc. First of all, Pietro, is, quote-unquote, the West a homogeneous block of agreement on how to proceed? Or is the current course just the U.S.? I think uh, it is not a homogeneous block, the West. I think that you can divide it up between, broadly speaking, continental Europe, So on one end, you have France and Germany, who are much more rational. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, as I described earlier on the podcast, if there is a major, major war on the European continent, they stand to lose the most, right? Okay. After after Russia and Ukraine, of course. Meanwhile, you also have the Anglosphere. That's the United States, Great Britain, the Commonwealth. Right. And these countries have been very, very, very vocal at pursuing confrontation with Russia over Ukraine. Very hawkish. Very extremely hawkish. So there is that division. I think that France and Germany were disappointed by Putin's decision to recognize Donbass, to recognize Mm -hmm. Donetsk and Lugansk, because they felt that this is escalating uh, the situation. Yeah, we heard from Schultz, their new chancellor, um, very strong words. Um, So it's interesting you say this, because I was also talking with Rant Mikhailian a couple of days ago on our podcast, and he said, the goal of the U.S. in this crisis is to decouple Russia from the EU. The less the two interact and interdepend, the more Europe is going to need the U.S. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Absolutely, right? What are the divisions within the West? Is it the U.S. sort of versus the the continental Europe uh, bloc? Again, I, I would say it's the Anglosphere, really, versus continental okay. Europe. And I think, I think so, so again, because the UK is so much on board with whatever. So US, US UK, is doing. Canada, New Zealand, the Australia. US, yeah, and actually, I'm actually shocked about Canada, because Canada, you think, would not be hawkish mm-hmm. in any context, usually. So that's why this is so unusual. I would say, in terms of this idea of decoupling Russia from the EU, there is that attempt, there is a desire in, in the United States among what we call the foreign policy establishment, the foreign policy blob, as it's also, you know, often called. But I I don't think it's realistic because even if you attempt to do that, I mean, Russia is part of Europe. Yeah. Right. It's it's geographically, it makes sense for Russia to be interacting with Germany and France on, on, on major, you know, energy deals and so on and so forth. So I think that this idea of decoupling is very unrealistic. And it's similar Mm -hmm. to this idea that some pundits have in the West of decoupling Russia from China. Yeah. And I don't think really you can do that because, again, the geography is the determining factor in, in this case. Okay. Where do you think we're going in the next few days on this uh, Ukraine um, crisis? Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully in a better place. I mean, the, the, the speech was uh, quite concerning. It really shows that the situation has escalated to a very, very bad place. And I hope that, you know, cooler heads will prevail. I think that to some extent, Moscow 
was showing its teeth and then hoping to get back to talks with the West, hoping to that this will encourage especially Washington to sit down seriously at the table and take its concerns seriously. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I don't see that coming from the American political elites or the American media. I think that there is still this focus on Putin. There still is this excessive hawkishness. There's some cracks here and there. But still, unfortunately, there is this desire to confront Russia. It's very similar to the lead up to World War I. Mm-hmm. Or the Iraq War. I think that that's. I think that that's uh, how I see it. But hopefully, again, cooler heads will prevail. I still believe that continental Europe is the key to getting out of this crisis. But yeah, it, it is okay. a quite concerning situation. I hope you're right. Um, the last thing I want to see is confrontation and death unnecessarily. Thank you, Petro. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Osbed. Talk to you soon and uh, stay well. You too. Bye bye.